Ugly. Chapter 12. We All Fall Down. It was July 1979, and the American Space Agency, NASA, had a problem. The first space station it had launched was about to fall to Earth. Skylab, a 77-ton, 26-meter-long chunk of metal, had orbited Earth for six years. Scientists on board had successfully conducted hundreds of experiments and undertaken thousands of observations. About 170 photographs of the sun and the Earth were taken. Astronauts did 42 hours of spacewalks. But by the mid-1970s, Skylab was in trouble. If its orbit wasn't corrected, it was going to crash to Earth. For a while, NASA had planned to use the new space shuttles it was building to repair Skylab and boost its orbit. But a delay meant that they weren't ready in time. Skylab was on its own, and it was falling down. There were tremendous media interest about Skylab falling to Earth, certainly enough to capture the attention of a boy who was about to turn seven and had already started dreaming about the stars. It was expected to crash somewhere in the southern hemisphere. Surely that meant there was every chance it could crash into Australia, I thought. NASA couldn't be sure, but I was. It was going to hit us. Luckily, David and I had a plan. The parts of Skylab that fell to Earth would conveniently fall on the bathroom block at Guardian Angels. The entire school would conveniently be inside the bathroom block at the time. I'm guessing at this stage that it was the boys' bathroom, but we conveniently skipped over some of those details. Anyway, Skylab would crash into the school, we'd all be in the bathroom, and the crash would conveniently collapse the entrance and we would be trapped. If everything went to plan, it would be a convenient convenience. With everyone at school trapped inside, there would be no one to rescue us, and we'd need to find our own way out. Dave and I worked out that I would give him one of my artificial legs, which he would use as a battering ram. He could then smash the debris and rubble out of the way and free us all. We were so prepared, we even had detailed engineering diagrams in crayon of what the rescue would look like. But that wasn't the way things went down. Instead of landing on Brisbane, Skylab broke up with some parts falling into the Indian Ocean off Western Australia. Other major parts rained down hundreds of miles east of Perth, almost 2,500 miles away in Brisbane. My chance to be a school hero had crashed and burned as well. Flaming chunks of metal crashing from the sky weren't the only things falling down in the late 1970s. Like most schools, Guardian Angels had an annual field day. The fact that I had no legs did not excuse me from participating. Apparently, if God did not want me to race, he would not have given me artificial legs. For sports day, we all trekked to Iona, where Michael and Gary both went, and where I would presumably end up too. Iona had several sports fields of its own, more than enough room for the few hundred students from our small elementary school. There were events like tunnel ball and tug of war, but the real highlight was the sprints. I was entered in the 100-meter sprint along with all the other kids. It was a compulsory as soggy tomato sandwiches at snack time. Catherine was still at Guardian Angels, so she came along to race as well, and Mom and Dad were both there to see us run. Dad was unsure about me competing. It wasn't that he didn't want me to run, quite the opposite. He was just concerned about me being made into a spectacle. But Mom was insistent. I know Robert can't win, she told Dad at the time, but he can get in there and try. She didn't want to tell me that I wouldn't be able to keep up and had no chance of winning. She was worried that I'd sit on my backside and give up, that I'd stop trying. Race day came and I got all dressed up and ready to run. Mom had bought me a new white sports 
t-shirt, green shorts, one sneaker, and one long white sock. The shoe and sock would go on my right leg, which had an actual artificial foot. My left foot was still just a horse's hoof of solid metal. We sat on the dusty hill next to Iona's main oval and watched as small, uncoordinated kids ran race after race. Mixed among them were a few athletes who stood out with their speed and grace. Then it was my turn, and I lined up with the other kids. Mom and Dad stood on the sidelines. I still don't like it, Dad said. Well, Vince, Mom said, if you feel like walking over there and taking him out of the race, you can, but I'm not about to. It was too late anyway. I was on the starting line. Skinny kids on either side of me with big eyes, bad haircuts, and white t-shirts of their own, and happy to give it a go. I bent down and leaned forward, pushing my arms out in front of me like I was going to somehow box my way into the race. I wasn't thinking about running a record time or qualifying for the Olympics or being a spectacle. I just wanted to run and win. On your marks, the stouter shouted, get ready, bang. For at least four strides, I kept up with the other kids. I was taking what seemed like giant steps with my right leg. I had no working left knee, real or artificial, and most of the leg consisted of just two pieces of straight metal. As I ran, I had to swing that leg in a semicircle away from my body. Normally, I was fairly disciplined about keeping it close to my body to try to disguise my limp. It was still obvious that it wasn't a real leg, but I did my best. All of that went out the window as soon as I started to run. I swung my left leg wildly to my side, almost knocking over a kid in the next lane. About 30 feet into the race, I was already way behind the others, but I just kept powering on. I could still catch them. When I realized I was probably going to be last, I started swinging my arms faster. That's what they did on television, and tried to pump my legs faster. That only made me swing my left leg wider and wilder. About a third of the way into the race, I was going so fast, for me, that I started to trip. I felt myself tumbling forward and tried to stop, but it was no use. Down I went. I fell forward, which I was used to. The grass on the oval at Iona was soft, and I wasn't really hurt. I picked myself up and saw that the other kids were well over halfway done, but not yet finished. Still time to catch them, I thought. I powered on, arms and legs swinging, puffing away. By the time I reached the halfway point, the other kids were crossing the finish line. Now I was racing myself, really. Racing on my own, but not alone. Parents and teachers nearby started cheering me on, and I finished the race feeling like a winner. The timekeeper at the finish line later said he had to ask the other kids in the race who'd won because everyone was watching me instead. Mom asked me if I minded not winning. No, of course not, I said. Later, Catherine ran her race and managed to come in last as well. I turned to Mom and said, Look, Catherine came in further last than I did. Falling over and finishing last in a running race and bashing my way out of buildings after space stations crashed on them were all well and good, but eventually I realized I could use my disability to make people laugh. One afternoon, Mom came to pick me up from school early for an appointment. She came to our classrooms, but my teacher, Sister Mary Patrice, was off talking to another teacher in a different room. Everyone in the class had their heads down, but somehow or someone saw Mom waiting at the door. The kids started shouting out, Hello, Mrs. Hogue, and I jumped up. I got into the habit of loosening the long laces that held the leather socket tight to my left stump when I sat down. As I stood up, my artificial legs started to rattle loose. 
It was a shock at first, but then I started shaking my left stump wildly until my artificial leg fell off entirely. I was holding myself up with my hands on nearby desks and hopping on one leg. Hi, Mom, I shouted. David jumped up and started hopping around too, almost tripping on my leg, which was now on the floor. Others were about to join in when Mom saw Sister Mary Patrice walking back. Quick, hurry, Sister, she called out, ratted out by my own mother. I sat down and quickly grabbed my leg from the floor as the fearsome nun stood at the door next to my mother and gave us a strange look. Robert and David, come here, please, she said. I'd only half finished putting my leg on and hadn't tightened up the laces, but I was so frightened I started walking to the door. David got to the teacher first and she gave him a whack on the bottom. In the future, behave, she said. Yes, sister, David said and went and sat back down at his desk. Then it was my turn. She gave me a harmless whack on the bum, but for some reason I overbalanced and fell forward. My left leg, still not properly secured, fell off. It toppled in one direction and I toppled in the other. Sister Mary Patrice just got redder and redder. She was probably the maddest I had ever seen her. A hush came over the the whole class. A few kids at the back stood up so they could see. They burst out laughing until they got one of Sister Mary Patrice's looks. Put that leg on, she said, and get up. Then she turned to Mom, looking horrified. This has never happened in my classroom before, she said. Mom, who had done a very good job of keeping her composure the whole time, finally burst out laughing. I was starting to realize that while kids laughing at you could be very hurtful, kids laughing at something you'd done was a different thing entirely. That wasn't the only time I caused grief for poor Sister Mary Patrice. Because our school was so close to water, we'd regularly walk the block down to the shore for a quick excursion. Sometimes it was to look at the islands dappled across the horizon, other times to talk about the jetty and how boats might have used it in days gone by. I'm sure it was occasionally just an excuse to get us kids out of the classroom and have us run around on the grass. Moreton Bay is bordered on the north by Redcliffe and on the south by Wellington Point, with Wynum in the middle. It is protected by Moreton Island and North Stradbroke Island, which means calm waters and no surf. When the tide went out, it went almost 300 feet, about three-quarters of the way along the jetty at Wynum. It left behind a vast expanse of mud, seaweed, shells, and the occasional very unlucky jellyfish. One day, Sister Mary Patrice took the class down to the foreshore. The tide was out, and soon enough, a few of us had scattered and found our way onto the mud flats. The other kids took their shoes off before they squelched around in the mud, but I figured with my artificial legs, everything would just be fine. Unfortunately, I got a bit too adventurous. After stepping out from the shore, I saw some interesting rocks that I wanted to investigate. This was a wet, smelly mistake. I ventured farther from the shore, but my left leg sank deep into the mud, well beyond where my ankle would have been. Any normal kid would have used his or her knee to pull the leg up and out of the mud, but I had no left knee. Instead, I started working my leg back and forward, trying to create enough room to swing it out. That didn't work. It just made the leg sink further. As I tried to work my left leg free, I put all my weight on my right leg until it started to sink as well. I flailed my arms about, consumed by images of quicksand from old Tarzan movies and episodes of Gilligan's Island. I looked for a vine I could grab onto, but there were none nearby. I paused for a moment to think and noticed that I stopped sinking when I didn't move. I figured I could just stand there for a while and see what happened. 
though the tide would come in eventually, I supposed. The other kids were doing their own thing, oblivious to me. I decided to give it one more go, a big effort. Surely that would work. I took a deep breath and pushed forward, trying as hard as I could to drag my left leg up and out of the mud. For a second, it felt like it was working, but then I lurched too far. I was used to falling over, well practiced at it, in fact. I'd feel myself falling, shove my hands forward and lock my elbows and shoulders as tight as I could, and fall. Better to end up with sore palms than a face plant. But it was not the right strategy this time. I shoved my hands out in front of me, locked my elbows and shoulders, and slowly toppled over. I was expecting the usual jarring thud, but my hands didn't stop when they hit the mud. Instead, they kept going into the slimy mire, past my wrist, past my forearms, stopping just as the mud reached my elbows. Now I had all four limbs stuck in the mud. I let out a slight squeal of panic. Behind me, I heard a loud gasp. Sister Mary Patrice must have spotted me. There was no mistaking the sound of a nun who was equal parts concerned, annoyed, and frustrated that she'd have to wade into the mud herself to save one of her more stupid students. Suddenly, the mud didn't seem so bad. By then, the other kids had seen me as well, and those who disobeyed the instructions not to go out too far started making their way back to safety. Sister Mary Patrice lifted up the long skirt of her habit, and for the first time in my life, I saw her ankles. Quickly, those lily-white ankles were covered, became covered in mud. As she got close, I thought I was going to, to cop a whack on the bum, but when she reached me, Sister Mary Patrice just grabbed my arms and tried to pull me out. No luck. Then she grabbed my left leg and, with what I assumed was Jesus-powered strength, slowly dragged it up out of the mud. Then she kind of lifted me up and over. My hands came out first, then my right leg with a vacuum plop as the mud rushed to fill the newly vacated, vacated space. It took us a while, and I was really tired from all the exertion, but eventually we made our way back to solid ground. I had mud on my shoe, on my sock, on my artificial legs, inside my artificial legs, on my gray shorts, on my shirt, under my fingernails, and halfway up my arms. Now, Robert, don't you go back out there. Understand? I nodded. Yes, sister. I sat on the retraining wall and watched her walk away. She looked back at me at a few times, but I just stared innocently out at St. Helena Island, thinking about the people who'd been so bad they had to be sent away from a penal colony to a special prison on an island all its own. Finally, she was far enough away, paying attention to other kids. I could have a look, bit of a look around, I thought. It would be okay if I didn't go out too far. I ventured back out onto the mudflats and got stuck again.